And so this season of Advent, we join with followers of Jesus all across the globe, and we pray, O come, divine Messiah, the world in silence waits the day when hope shall sing its triumph and sadness flee away. Well, hey, welcome, South Fellowship Church. Hey, thanks. Yeah, you guys are a lively bunch today. This is going to be good. Hey, it is great to see you. You're, uh, you're joining us on our third Sunday of Advent, and if you haven't been here for the uh, first two messages, let me just catch you up a little bit. Advent is a time in the church calendar that is actually the English translation of the Latin word Adventus, which means coming or arrival. And it's a season where we carve out space to hope and space to long. There's really, there's three postures of the soul that we embrace during the Advent season. One is waiting, the other is anticipating, and the the third is preparing. We're preparing for the once again coming of the Messiah into the world. And this year, we're journeying with the prophet Isaiah using our lectionary passages, and and we're using Isaiah and some passages to point us to the birth of the Christ child. So two weeks ago, out of um, Isaiah chapter 64, we said that our deepest longing is God's fullest presence, that oftentimes what we need isn't an answer given to us, it's an arm around us, and that's what we get at Christmas. Uh, Last week, we said that God is able to use the barren wilderness to birth beautiful life. In fact, you don't have to leave the wilderness to encounter God. He builds a highway to meet you there. And then this Sunday, we're going to be camping out in Isaiah chapter 61. If you have your Bible, turn there with me, and you're in for a treat today. Um, That may be presumptuous, and I may be a little bit biased because I'm part of said treat, okay? Um, (laughs) But I have uh, Dr. Jeff Brodsky from Joy International who's preaching with me today, and so we are going to be team teaching this message. Uh, I get to go first, and then he's going to close us. But as I was thinking about Isaiah 61, I um, was reminded of one of the most popular Christmas movies of all time. I think it's been played as much or more than any other Christmas movie, and it's not the Christmas story, but uh, it's, it's a wonderful life. How many of you guys have seen this movie? How many of you have watched it already this year? Okay, not, not too many. But if you'll remember, it's the story of George Bailey, um, who grows up in this town and has big dreams. And then he encounters life. And things don't turn out the way that he hoped. And there's one evening that it gets extremely dark for him, and he's standing on a bridge, and he jumps off of it, intending to take his own life. And then a guardian angel, Clarence, comes in and saves his life. And after he saves his life, Clarence takes him on a, a tour of his life. It, and really, Clarence's goal is to look at George's life or allow George to step back from his own life and look at it and to see the difference that his life has made. That if George weren't a part of uh, this world, that things would have gone drastically different, that his brother, whom he saved from drowning, would, would have drowned, and um, the pharmacist who he saved from accidentally killing this young boy would have, would have gone through and done it, and... Here's what Clarence does. He takes George on what I'll call a a tour of insteads. Instead of this thing that did happen, this would have happened. Instead of that, this would be the new reality of the world that we live in. And instead's a powerful word, isn't it? And it's a word of exchange. Instead of this, you you get that. This uh, week, I had an experience with the word instead. I installed a new, and I'm not exactly Mr. Fix-It, I installed a new light dimmer on the light in our kitchen. And instead of the light in our kitchen turning on, the light in our bathroom turned off. (laughs) It was awesome. So I called my friend Gary, who's an electrician, and right when his wife uh, answered the phone, she says to me, Ryan, what'd you screw up? (laughs) This may have happened before, okay? And... Um, I said, hey, here's what happened. I told her, and she said, hey, how about this? How about you stick to the Bible and let us stick to electric? (laughs) I was like, fair enough, fair enough, Susie. Instead's a powerful word, isn't it? I'm thinking, instead of economy, you get first class. It's a good instead. 
Hey, and instead of just barely squeaking by in that final for high school or college or seminary that you just took, instead of that, you, you aced it. Instead's a, a powerful word, isn't it? And it's a word that Isaiah picks up as he points to this instead exchanged reality that comes as a result of the divine Messiah. Let me lay some groundwork for these insteads that Isaiah is going to point out. Isaiah chapter 61. The prophet Isaiah is writing, looking forward to a time that, where Israel will be taken into exile and then they'll start to come home. And God's going to work and God's going to move and God's going to bless. And listen to what Isaiah points towards. He says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, freedom to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Isaiah, to a group of people heading into exile, points to a a deeper, a bigger story that's going on. And he says, here's here's what's going to happen. One day, God's going to speak into your captivity, and he's going to bring freedom. (laughs) Do you see that word? That he is going to proclaim liberty or freedom to the captives. And here's what Isaiah points out, is that before God can start any sort of exchange in your life, any sort of instead that he wants to bring about, and there are some that he wants to bring about, the very first thing he must do is he must speak a word of freedom over your life. Because freedom is the foundation of living in God's favor and God's blessing. And here's what I know. In in a room this size this morning, with this many people, there's a number of people here and you need a word of freedom today. And and I just want to invite you to lean in. to listen close, because this good news is for you. But if we want to experience God's favor, God's blessing, we must first receive his freedom. And it's exactly what Jesus came to bring, that Christmas is a liberty celebration. And here's the way Isaiah builds on that word, that word of freedom. He's going to give us three insteads, okay? And here's the first one. Here's what he says. He says that he's going to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress, say it with me, church, instead of ashes. Now, you have to imagine a person in exile. Their home's been destroyed. Their temple has been wiped out. Every dream that they've had has been dashed, and they're being marched in chains off to a town that isn't their own to be in a culture that isn't home. And it's in this situation that this word comes, instead. You know how hard it would have been to hear? For those exiles, it would have been as hard to hear as it might be for you today. That this instead life can be a reality. See, here's what the first thing Isaiah wants to speak into. He wants to speak into this idea of fatalism that we often carry on our shoulders. And here's the lie that fatalism tells us. The way it is now is the way that it will always be. And there's nothing you can do to change it. And so the first thing Isaiah does is he speaks into that lie, and he uses this idea, this metaphor of ashes. And ashes were something that in the the ancient world, people would place on their head, and they would sort of um, go down over their body and over their face, and it was a picture of a life that was just burned out, a life that had been decimated, a life that was sort of done. Um, Ashes might be the way that we would describe the Denver Broncos season just saying, and there's no phoenix rising from those ashes, okay? It's not, don't even pray for it, it's not 
going to happen. But here's what, here's what Isaiah says, that instead of ashes, there's a beautiful headdress. And here's what he has in mind. He has in mind um, a green headdress woven from either laurel leaves or meadow flowers that they would often place on the head of a victor um, after an athletic contest. So here's the picture Isaiah is painting, that it's one of victory instead of defeat. That the captives are not only freed, but they are turned into conquerors. Listen to the way that verse 4 and Isaiah records this. He says, they shall build up the ancient ruins, the ancient city of Jerusalem that's destroyed. They shall rise up former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. God's going to take where there's rubble, and he's going he's to start to rebuild. And as I was preparing, I just got this sense that there's some people in this room where there's some rubble that God wants to rebuild on. And it may be your faith that's in shambles. It may be your hope that's absolutely decimated and completely destroyed. It may be your joy that's just zapped up. Now, I want to tell you this morning, I believe God wants to rebuild some things in your life if you let him. He wants, to, he wants to speak this word over you and over me this morning. Here, here's the second instead. The, the oil of gladness, say it with me, instead of mourning. And so when people mourned in the ancient world, their skin would dry out and it was a public symbol of Man, we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And they epitomized externally what was going on internally. It was a way of inviting others. Hey, we're in the thick of it. And if you'd like to, you can join us in mourning. And what Isaiah says is that um, there was an oil people would put on their skin to um, liven it up again. And that's the picture that Isaiah begins to paint. Instead of this dry mourning, an oil's coming. An oil in the, all throughout the scriptures, it would signify the, the, both the spirit of God and the presence of God. Look at the way he says it in verse 7. That instead of your shame, there will be a double portion, an abundance. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion of everlasting joy. That's a great word, is it not? That what God's going to do to this nation of exiles, these people in waiting, anticipating, and hoping is he's going to not only bring them back to their land, but he's going to expand their land and he's going to take away their shame and lead them into joy. Imagine the shame an exile would have felt. Their life's work being decimated. Everything they hold dear ripped from their hands. And they're in a culture that's not their own. See, guilt is when we feel bad about what we've done, but shame is when we feel bad about who we are. And what God does through the prophet Isaiah is he speaks this word of hope into the deepest places of our souls. I love the way that Brene Brown puts it when she says this. She says, shame is the most powerful master emotion. It's the fear that we're not good enough. And here's what God says. He says that, no, 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 no. I am speaking a word of joy instead of shame. That because of what he's doing, he's building on ancient ruins, he's leading us from defeat into victory, and he's speaking a word of everlasting joy into our narrative of, man, I wish I wouldn't have, or I wish that didn't happen, or that thing that person did to me just replays over and over and over in my mind and assaults my soul. Isaiah says there's a better word. It's a word of everlasting joy. Will you look up at me for a moment? Here's the truth of the matter. That you and I, we can either hold on to our shame or we can hold on to God's joy, but we cannot hold on to both. We can't hold on to both. 
It's impossible. And the only way, the only way that the word of hope gets in our soul is if we open our hands and release our shame and invite God into our pain and say, would you come in? Would you speak a better word? Would you do what you say you'll do through the prophet Isaiah? And would you lead me out of shame and into your joy? I think there's some people that maybe today is just a a hand-opening day. Jesus, I'm not even sure if you can. But, but if you can, I am inviting you into my pain. And I'm asking that you would start to bring this everlasting joy and instead, speak a word of instead over my pain and lead me to it. Verse 3, here's the way it closes. And he says, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. The picture of a faint spirit is that when you wake up in the morning and you open your eyes and your initial thought is, I think this is as good as it's going to get today. I might just stay in bed. Has anybody else been there? Yeah. It's the, it's the idea or the feeling of being depleted, of being weak, of being decimated. In contrast, a, a garment was something in the ancient world that they would put on when they were going out into the world. They would go out to do business. They would go out to meet somebody or visit somebody's home. It was a way of saying we are prepared for whatever the day is going to bring. A garment of praise. We are not decimated. We're not, we're not weak. We're not, we're not faint. We're ready at the drop of a hat to praise. And what Isaiah's word says is instead of putting it in the slides, I left it out um, on accident. So there's another instead. You can write that down. But (laughs) praise instead of sorrow. You can write it down in your bulletin if you want. Praise instead of sorrow. And this word of praise that Isaiah speaks is not a word of praise that goes back and just undoes everything that's happened in the past. Because you and I know that's not possible. Right? It's a pointing towards the future of what God will do. And when we wear that, we wear it with anticipation. We wear it with imagination. God, what are you up to? How might you lead out of this darkness and into your light? We wear it in the same way that the people marching to Jerusalem in the Psalms of Ascent would sing, Oh, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter and we had shouts of joy, the passage goes on to say. See, part of having a restored spirit is embracing new dreams. God, what might you do? How might you move in this dark situation? Now, for the nation of Israel, we we have to step into their story a little bit or or else the impact will be lost on us. Because as they're getting dragged off by the Babylonians in 586 BC, as they see Jerusalem destroyed, how real do you think these insteads might have seemed to them? Not real at all. They, They would have been a distant fantasy at best. At best. And this is where memory would serve us well because they were in captivity for 70 plus years, but but God was good on his promise in Isaiah 61. He brought them back to the land. He restored them. They rebuilt the temple. They reenacted their praise to their great God. It didn't happen overnight, but it did happen. But it was only a partial fulfillment because if you know anything about the ministry of Jesus, Jesus actually begins his public ministry by quoting this same verse. Look at Luke chapter 4 with me. As Jesus is in his own town, his hometown of Nazareth, and he's in the synagogue on a Sabbath day, they give him the scroll of Isaiah and he goes through Isaiah and it says that he found the place where it's written. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Does it sound familiar? Okay. It should. It's Isaiah chapter 61. But it's what Jesus says right after that gets people really upset. Here's what he says. He rolls up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of everybody in the synagogue were on him. I mean, you could hear a pin drop in that room. And he began to say to them, today, like right now, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Freedom to the captives, liberty to the oppressed, chains broken, hope given. And nothing changes. I mean, you just imagine Jesus like, and today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus of Nazareth, mic drop, out, right? And everyone's going, wait a second. We thought you were going to come and be the military ruler. We thought you were going to come and overthrow Rome, who's absolutely decimating us. We thought you were going to come and do something that would really be helpful for us. This fulfillment isn't exactly working. It's not what we had in mind. And I think we often get it wrong, too. How many of you guys have um, ordered a gift for somebody off of Amazon this Christmas season? Okay, so here's what happens. When you order a gift off of Amazon, you get an initial response via email that says your order has been placed. And then a little while later, you get a follow-up email that says your order has been fulfilled. And what that means is it's the package, whatever you order has, has left their processing center and is on the way. Now, here's my question for you. Do you have the present yet? No. It's not, it's not on your doorstep yet. But it's, but it's on the way. It's, it's coming. And when Jesus says this promise has been fulfilled, he's saying you're going to see, you're going to see glimpses of this fulfillment all around you. You're going to see people healed. You're going to be, you're going to see people freed. You're going to see people who are, um, who were oppressed, who are walking in joy. You're going to see all of these things but you're not going to see it in all of its fullness just yet. One day the package will be here. See, you and I, we live between two poles. We live between the incarnation and the resurrection of Jesus, where all of these promises were inaugurated, where they were, they were started. But we also live between, in between the, the second coming, where it will be fully realized. See, it's in the incarnation in Jesus of Nazareth that Jesus brings instead life into eternal reality. Instead of sin that causes death, we get life. Instead of separation, we get acceptance. Instead of brokenness, we get beauty. And Israel was horribly disappointed with their Messiah. So much so that they tried to kill him. Just keep reading in Luke chapter 4. His inauguration, this is my ministry speech, doesn't exactly go well because they wanted him to overthrow Rome. And hey, lean in for a moment. We often want the same thing. The wholeness and beauty that Jesus brings. The forgiveness, the life, the invitation to follow and to be part of his kingdom. We often want the end. We want the package to come. And Jesus says, oh, oh, it's, it's on the way. It's on the way. Behold, in the end, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That day is coming. Amen? But it is not yet. 
And we live in this in-between, in-between incarnation and in-between second coming. And here's how to live in the in-between. Know that God is a God of insteads. And he wants to speak it into your life, and he wants to speak it through your life. And so he calls us to himself. And then he sends us out as ambassadors of hope, as carriers of joy, as citizens of the kingdom of God to be chain breakers and joy bringers in the lives of the people around us. That this Isaiah 61 instead might become a reality for more and more people in your life and in mine. And I can tell you, I have never met anybody that lives this calling out better than Dr. Jeff Brodsky. Would you come up, Jeff, and join me? Jeff's going to close out our message because, like I said, I think his life beautifully paints the picture of this God of instead. So, Jeff, will you uh, tell us about that God and how you're following him? Sure will. Thanks. I was really blessed when I received a call from Pastor Ryan uh, to share the pulpit with him today. Um, I believe that he's the epitome of a five-fold ministry pastor teacher. So I was really honored that he would ask me to share, share this morning with you. And when I saw the message, and especially the passage uh, with uh, Isaiah 61, I thought, oh my, that's my life verse. Because um, God has definitely uh, called me to set the captives free. Uh, that's what my whole life is about. Um, but also with joy, with joy, the name of our ministry, Joy International. Um, when I first started Joy International, it was uh, 1981. But before I get that, that uh, I know I'll forget if I don't do this right now. I can't thank you all enough for your prayers. Uh, the last, especially over the last uh, five, six weeks now, it's been quite a nightmare for me ever since. It was actually just a few days after I got back from a trip to Cambodia, which was an extremely powerful time there. And uh, two days later, I went through, uh, literally, uh, I was bedridden for uh, five weeks. And we didn't know if it was cancer or what, but thank God it wasn't. Um, so thank you all so much for your prayers. I, I really appreciate it. Doing fine. Um, still healing, not 100%, but I'm getting there. <clears throat> okay, so when it talks about uh, bringing good news to the afflicted and setting the, the captives free, uh, freedom to prisoners, oh my gosh, that's Joy International. You know, that's, and talking about an instead life, ever since, ever since 19... Uh, 76, when I accepted Jesus into my life and became a, a Messianic Jew. I was born and raised Jewish in, in New York City, uh, Brooklyn, New York. And ever since then, I, I was ready. The day I accepted Jesus into my life, I was ready to go into the ministry immediately. I, first thing I did was I called my parents. I told them, Jesus is really the Messiah. I expected them to get excited. <laughs> They did not get excited. As a matter of fact, it was 22 years later that um, literally on his deathbed, I was able to lead my father into a relationship with the Lord. Um, but anyway, my instead life. Uh, 1979, I was in real estate. I was, I was on the verge of becoming a millionaire in real estate. I was this young person in Fountain Hills, Arizona. I, th I thought, oh my gosh. This is great. I, I, I made it big. I mean, a nice Jewish boy from Brooklyn, he wants a big bank account. And uh, something was wrong. I was miserable. And I thought, well, what's, what is wrong? Something's not right here. And I remember one night, I, I, about 2 o'clock in the morning, which is about when I wake up, somewhere between 2 to 3 every day, I laid down flat, spread eagle, before the Lord and poured my heart out to him. And that, and you know, isn't it interesting the way you pray? When you pray, you say, you'll pray, you ask God for a million things and say, in Jesus' name, amen. Then you get up and walk away and do whatever you have to do. I wonder how many times God says, huh, excuse me, didn't you want an answer? Well, I wanted an answer, so I just shut up and 
waited and hoped that he would speak to me, and he did that night. I can't share everything he shared with me because it would take too long, but that was the night that he called me into ministry. Um, and little did I know, two years after that is when I was sitting in the back of a car. I was reading, the, I call it reading the red, reading the words of Jesus and John 15, 11, where Jesus said, I speak these things to you that my joy, it's interesting how the, even the candle that was uh, lit today was for joy. All the, the times the word joy was spoken today, uh, I'm sitting there going, yeah, uh, because John 15, 11, Jesus is speaking, and this is what he said, I speak these things to you that my joy would be in you so that your joy would be complete. And I found in my life by putting J-O-Y, Jesus first, others second, yourself third. If you live your life by putting Jesus first, others second, yourself third, that's the way to experience true joy. It was that day that Joy International was born, uh, 37 years ago now. Um, as far as my being barefoot, I'm not going to share the whole story. Um, you talk about an instead life. Well, instead of being nice and comfortable and wearing nice warm socks in the winter or shoes going through the snow, and yes, I walk in the snow barefoot, whatever, it doesn't matter, weather doesn't play a part. I have not had a sock on either one of my feet in 2,708 days. And yes, I'm... Oops. <laughs> Yes, I'm counting, because <laughs> um, I'm hoping and praying, believe it or not, that one day God will say, okay, you can put them on again. I hate being barefoot. People think that I like being barefoot after seven and a half years, that I've never had, a, had shoes or socks on for seven and a half years, that I like it. I hate it. I hate it. I, I would give anything for God to tell me, okay, it's time. But until he does... And people tell me all the time, okay, it's, especially after what I went through over the last five weeks because it, uh, my legs, uh, especially my right leg played a part in it. And people said, well, you probably got some disease from walking around in third world countries barefoot in garbage dumps and all. I don't think that God's called me to, to experience that. I said, when God tells me, that's when I'll do it. Until then, as long as my being barefoot will motivate people to action in a way that will help us rescue more girls... Our organization, Joint International, we rescue children from brothels. And when I say children, we have rescued children as young as four years old. There is no worse crime. There is no worse evil perpetrated against a child than this. These girls have to service I'm going to be very cautious and very sensitive because I know there's children in here uh, to the way I share things. Those of you that are adult, you'll know what I'm talking about. These girls have to service. Um, <clears throat> 10 to 15 men, sometimes up to 20 men a day, every day, seven days a week until they're no longer desirable and they're tossed in the street like trash if they don't die of disease or take their own lives because they can't take it anymore. But my instead life started right from the, the day that God called me into ministry. Instead of being a millionaire, he said, I want you to win millions to, to me, millions of souls. We're getting there, somewhere between three to 400,000 that I've seen since I went into ministry. <clears throat> Instead of a life of comfort, God asked me to live humbly, being totally barefoot. And I don't know why. I, I wish he would have told me why. I just know one thing. When God asks you to do something, you have to say yes or no. There is no maybe. I don't believe in the word maybe. I don't, it shouldn't even be in the dictionary. It's a, a wasted word. Maybe is no until it becomes a Yes. I never realized how my being barefoot will touch other people as well. I remember that, uh, just six weeks ago when I was in uh, Cambodia, my teams now, I have teams of highly skilled trained men that train special forces, including military. I have two members of uh, former special forces, Israeli special forces, that are going with me in uh, 
four weeks back to Cambodia to do training for the police with my director of global police training and tactical operations. Well, when I was there six weeks ago at the closing ceremony, we had trained uh, 20 uh, anti-trafficking uh, police. And at the closing ceremony, there were 11 generals uh, that were there. And uh, you, you never know when you're doing something how it touches other people until they share with you. I shared with the, the 20 officers that were there and the rest of the people. I said, you guys have seen me all week getting off of the tuk-tuk, which is the trans transportation there, barefoot. And I noticed that you all laughing at me, and many of you, you don't know the story. So I shared the story at the closing ceremony. Well, little did I know that General Pitai got up in, in tears, and he said, I have never respected a man more than this man. for what he has chosen to do for our people, our children. He said, many of you don't know with the killing fields, oh, so many of our people had to escape into the jungles, including my parents. They lived in the jungle barefoot for two years. They had to leave the, their homes, millions with no shoes. They had no choice. This man has a choice, and he does it to help our people. So you never, I, I, it overwhelmed me. We embraced after, and we have now this incredible bond. Um, the Christmas holiday is upon us, and it's interesting. Uh, for me, uh, the holidays, I love to celebrate with my, my wife, who's here with me today. I love when I have an opportunity to speak locally, uh, because Gail doesn't travel with me, uh, because a lot of the places that I go to. And uh, it's so good to have my wife with me here today. <clears throat> but I love to celebrate the holidays with my family, but in the back of my mind is always the girls. It's a nightmare for them. Holidays are a nightmare for these girls. Holidays like Christmas and Valentine's Day, forget it. That's when men who are lonely and frustrated, they take out their loneliness and frustration on the girls. Um, it's, it's a nightmare for them um, until they're set free. And then they can really celebrate. Five years, I worked for five years um, to put together a a team that could train police. It was so frustrating that because I went undercover for many years. I went deep undercover. It was incredibly risky. Um, uh, if they caught me, with the hidden, we would have hidden cameras. Could be a pen, could be uh, a button. It was so many different things that we would have. If we were caught, they would, they would either hospitalize you or they would kill you. So it was very risky, and I thought, there, you know, we would go through weeks and weeks and dozens and dozens of, of places, the brothels that we would go into. We would bring footage to the police. The next day, we would go there to do a raid, and everybody was gone because there was so much corruption. And I thought, God, there has to be a better way. I can't believe you've got me to do this to fail. And that's when he gave me the idea of training police who would be extremely vetted to know that they're not corrupt. And we finally put together this team in Cambodia. The success that they've had is unbelievable. Um, just, in the, just in the last few years, it's been like, I think it's like 800 and some odd, 830 or 40 uh, since, that, uh, since we started with this uh, team several years ago. Just in the last... In the last um, about a little less than 60 days, we've had 30 rescues, um, and out of those 30 rescues, we had something different this time. We had just last week, we had, I was sharing with uh, Pastor Ryan, we had 13 men. As a matter of fact, I think when I shared it with you, it was that morning or it was the day before. We had 13 men that were being trafficked from Cambodia to Malaysia for forced labor that were rescued. Um, the work isn't over. Once the girls are rescued, 
a lot of more hard work begins um, because now instead of the life, that word instead again, that they had, they have an opportunity for new life. You know, you would think, well, I'll get to that in a second. Uh, but that's when uh, one of the things that we have with all of our rescues, we always have, and when I was in Cambodia six weeks ago, the last night I was there, we actually went out and we had a raid happen with six girls that were rescued, three of them only about 14, 15 years old. Um, but we always have a prosecutor, uh, and we always have two female social workers because those girls are deathly afraid of men, even police. Because so many corrupt police will, will make like they're rescuing them and then sell them to a brothel that's even worse, where the beatings will be even worse. So we always have a prosecutor to make the arrest. It was so wonderful seeing that it was a woman that was the brothel owner being arrested and taken away. Um, the life expectancy of these girls is five to seven years before they're no longer desirable. Our fight and our work continues every day. We, I learned of a new nightmare. I was in the office of the general, and he shared some, General Pitai shared with me something that's happening in South, all across Southeast Asia and China um, with um, organ harvesting of children, young children. I, I can't even share with you what they do. It just wouldn't be right to share it here. Uh, and then another group that is now being called breeders. Uh, breeders, they, they want the girls, uh, instead of them performing an abortion, if the girls in the brothels got pregnant, they want them to have the babies. They, they actually train the babies. To, to service and satisfy uh, men from infancy so that when they're older. They don't feel as though they're doing anything wrong. <laughs> it, it, it's a nightmare what's happening in our world today especially to children. So what's God's answer? <clears throat> I know I'm one of them, but we are. We're God's answer. <clears throat> All you have to do is look in the mirror. <clears throat> We're the answer. Instead of hands that cause hurt and pain, these girls, they, they want arms that can embrace them tenderly, show them that they're safe and they're cared for. And that could happen with you. We bring teams overseas and to just hug one of these girls, especially you women. It's a, such a blessing, uh, especially younger uh, women. But even those that are grandmas, uh, we have such a tremendous time when we bring teams over there. I'm hoping that uh, Pastor will go with me this year too. <clears throat> Instead of vile, evil men forcing these girls to be used for repulsive, degrading acts, God created her. God created her with lips not to perform degrading acts, but to sing praises and to worship and glorify him with their mouths. I want to see these girls, instead of having a life of sorrow, like Pastor was showing, have praise. Instead of having sh defeat, victory. Instead of shame, joy. I'm a fivefold ministry, I believe, evangelist. I want to see everybody saved. I don't know how people can not accept Jesus when they find him, find out who he is and what he can mean in their lives. <clears throat> when a girl is rescued, you would think that she's ecstatic. She is terrified, absolutely terrified, the shaking, screaming, crying as they're being carried out. But when they get to a, scent, a place where girls that have already been rescued and their girls surround them and say, you don't have to be scared no more. They're going to love you here. You talk about instead of sorrow, praise, 
they will love you here. You don't have to do those bad things anymore. And you, real, and you see the look on that girl's face when she realizes her nightmare is over. You talk about joy. <laughs> I, I can't even begin to tell you what I feel, to know that I play a part in that. And those of you that give to joy, like South Fellowship does, you play a part in that without question. The end result that I look for in the life of every one of these girls, without question, is salvation. I want to see them into a relationship with the Lord. And when they do, the joy that they have as they sing praises and worship Him. Can you uh, put the uh, video on? This is the end result that I look for in the life of every girl after she's rescued. Now you'll notice that some of these girls, you can lower the volume a little. You'll notice that some of the, the girls here are really young children and boys, but mostly girls. There's probably about 70, I think there were like 78 uh, girls there that night. Um, you'll see some of the younger ones. All of the children that you see in this clip or girls that were rescued and boys. When I'm at one of these times when, when they're just worshiping God, I'm, I go nuts. I'm, I'm overwhelmed uh, when you think of the instead life instead of what they were doing with their, with their bodies. To see their bodies in praise and worship to the Lord. Oh my. This was a church service. At, this was actually at a safe house that... Uh, um, they asked me to come and uh, minister at, to speak at. Now, there's, a, there's no greater sound than to hear children singing praises to the Lord. But after this praises and singing praises, I want you to see the, the sound that I enjoy hearing and the sounds that you should hear from a child um, is what you're going to hear right now after this. Here's the most beautiful sound in the world to me. This is one of our team members at, in, the villa, in the villages where we minister, we bring bags of rice for the, the families are extremely poor. They make about $20 a month. So bringing them bags of rice that last for weeks and we bring, believe it or not, shoes. Um, and uh, <laughs> I do. They asked me if I would buy several hundred pairs of shoes. I thought, oh, well, a bit of a paradox there, but sure, why not? <laughs> um, so anyway, how can South Fellowship um, minister to the least of these? How could South Fellowship bring good news to the afflicted, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim, proclaim liberty to captives, and bring freedom to prisoners? By joining forces with me, as you have, sending me and our special forces team, not just to Cambodia. We're now doing this training all over the, the world. When I come back from Cambodia, several days later, I'm going to Minnesota to Minneapolis just a couple of weeks before the Super Bowl to do a training at the airport there for the police. Um, not everybody's called to go, but everybody's called to, to give. Um, many ways you can do that. Um, we have a tremendous need for the trip that I'm taking in several weeks. It's very expensive to do this training. The same training that we're doing here, that we're doing there, here, for them to go through that training here would cost about $30,000. So there, it's only about $7,500. Not only, it's still a lot. So what greater gift can you give this Christmas in the gift of freedom? 
Once these girls are free, that's when they'll experience a life filled with joy instead of shame, victory instead of defeat, and praise instead of sorrow. Instead of captivity, they pray for rescue. Instead of slavery, they dream of freedom. You can be the answer to their prayers. Thank you so much, Pastor. Stand up. We're going to close our time together. Stand up. I just whispered to Jeff that you guys do that for me after every Sunday. So, um, <laughs> you know what? We, this is, um, we, we serve an instead God, don't we? And this is an instead holiday, that instead of um, just soaking in the glory of heaven, Jesus clothes himself in flesh and humanity and steps into your world and, and mine. And the same thing that, that Jeff does for these kids all across the globe is what we celebrate on Christmas. It's a rescue mission. It's an invitation back into the life that God has for us. And so... I would love for you to stop by Jeff's booth, but, but even more than that, here's what I'd love. I would love for you to leave this place convinced that, one, God wants to bring you freedom from the things you're, whatever you're walking through. And that second, that you would be convinced that he's empowered you to be someone who speaks freedom into the lives of others. Whether it's in your home, in your neighborhood, in your workplaces, in your family over this holiday season, that he's an instead God and he has an instead message to speak through you. And so maybe you invite somebody to come with you Christmas Eve or um, you reach out to somebody in your um, area of influence, but man, he's an instead God and it's an instead message and you are one of his carriers. Let's pray. Let's pray. So Father, today... Lord, and every person in this room is in a, in a different spot. But Lord, I know that there's some people here today and, and they walk in with chains and they walk in with baggage and that you have a word of freedom for them today. And Lord, I pray that even right now, by the power of your spirit, you would minister, that you would break chains, that you would, where there's defeat, you'd lead to victory, where there's sorrow, Lord, you'd bring, bring us to joy, and where there's shame, you'd lead us to praise, please. Lord, we lift up Jeff to you, and we're grateful for the ministry that you've called him to and our partnership with him, and Lord, I pray that you would continue to use his life for, for the joy of many, for the freedom of many, and that as we as a church partner with him, uh, that we would get a taste of some of the excitement that those girls have in singing their praise to you. So Lord, we thank you for that word this morning, that you're an instead God, and we're your instead people, and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Now God's people said,